Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following is a presentation of the Match Talk Podcast Network. Wrestling fans, it's time for the World Wrestling Resource Podcast. The World Wrestling Resource was made that you as a wrestler, parent, coach, or fan can have access to all the resources of the very best in the world of wrestling. I'm three-time wrestling writer and broadcaster of the year, Jason Bryant. And I want you to join me, along with John McGovern and world champions Terry Brands and Dennis Hall, as we talk training tips, topical discussion, mental preparation, and more on the World Wrestling Resource Podcast. World Wrestling Resource is sponsored by Defense Soap. Find World Wrestling Resource on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldwrestlingresource and follow us on Twitter at WWRESO and, of course, on the web at worldwrestlingresource.com. Now on to the show as we join John McGovern, Terry Brands, and Dennis Hall. And welcome back to the World Wrestling Resource. This is episode 26. Jason Bryan here with you, joined by John McGovern, head wrestling coach at the University of Dubuque, Dennis Hall, world champion, Greco-Roman, Terry Brands. Uh, he's got a couple medals in that freestyle thing, and uh, we're just finishing up with the U.S. Olympic team trials held in Iowa City. And, you know, Terry, you're right there in Iowa City. It's the second straight time USA Wrestling has put the uh, U.S. Olympic team trials in Carver-Hawkeye Arena in Iowa City. First, I want to get your perspective from, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to be right in there in the trenches. You've got athletes to take care of. You've got your, your university facilities that are running everywhere. I mean, what's this event like for you and everything that goes around with it? Well, the bottom line there is that the administration of the University of Iowa is over the top with what they do and the support that they give us as a program and wanting to bring that thing back. Um, and USA Wrestling says the same thing about it. You know, they're very, very impressed with the organization and the amount of, of uh, workload that our administration takes on and the work ethic that they have. So, you know, from a, you know, a promotions point of view and what's right for a program, it's awesome to have that kind of support on the ground here. Dennis, second time through, uh, last time you were actually competing, this time coaching Ben Provisor, who made his second straight Olympic team. When it's What does the Carver-Hawkeye, what did that provide from a coaching and athlete perspective that makes this conducive for Olympic team trials? You know, it, it's the fans. Um, you know, there, there's a ton of fans in the stands. It's full. You're looking to compete in front of a big crowd, and I, I think it helps a lot of the athletes get into that zone, which uh, – they need to be in so the other thing is it it just is a class uh class actual you know i mean they they really do a good job keeping everything moving and and uh, the pace of the tournament just flows really well down there 
John, you had an opportunity to watch it online. I'm kind of curious on what the perspective was on the streaming. I understand John Smith's commentary was uh, was very welcomed by the wrestling community and and various things. What were your perspectives on uh, on watching it from a streaming perspective? Well, I think it was great for for the sport because it it allowed a lot of people to watch the Olympic trials that might not ever see it, and you can plant a seed in some of the the, the younger wrestlers in our country just like when they watch the state tournament, now they have a dream and they're kind of, it, it seems more tangible because they can see the venue. They can get feedback, the story that behind the athletes and, uh, you know, some of their, you know, heroes watching Jaden Cox and Kyle Dave Russell coming right out of college and the story, you know, the storylines be, behind it was well covered. You know, we don't usually get that kind of fan base, even at a world championship event. Hopefully someday at our world team trials, we get behind that, but that's why it makes the Olympics that much more important for our sport because, it, it, it's where it's where everybody gets behind that dream, and we need to we need to get, get it back as a core core sport, right? So, so I thought overall for Olympic wrestling, and, and and it was it was just just great. And I don't know how many people watched it online, but a lot of my college wrestlers are watching it and they're talking about it, you know. And uh, it's just social media. I mean, so there's so many benefits to to having that event and having it hosted well by Iowa City. It just seems like if it's not broke, don't fix it. As we get to the the team makeup, we don't have anybody representing uh, the women's freestyle in the program. But, Terry, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Uh, Lauren Louise is now training with the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. And when I announced her out coming to the mat, it was kind of a surprise to me and actually a pleasant surprise, a, a happy surprise that when I announced, you know, Lauren Louise, Hawkeye Wrestling Club, the crowd really got behind her, even though she's not from Iowa originally and she hasn't been there that long. And, you know, this is this is a good opportunity to open the doors more for for women and girls wrestling in the state of Iowa. I mean, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see the reaction for Lauren Louise. Yeah, I mean, they, they know where their support's going. There's a lot of people that give, you know, anywhere from 50 to, you know, $50 to $50,000 in that arena. And there's a lot of people, they know uh, where their money's going and they, they want to get behind where their money's going. And it's important to them that they are there to support. And it's also important to them that they know that they're getting quality care for the product that they're buying also. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't a surprise to me. And, you know, most of those people in that arena probably had no clue that she was even with us. But she's a great girl. She works hard. Um, there's some things that we need to get get right with her in her head from a psychology or wrestling point of view that will help from her performance. But, you know, it's one of those things where why wouldn't they get behind her? They, these, these Hawkeye fans are are loyal people. They want to see winners and they want to see people that, that wear their color and wear their name do really well. And they're going to get behind them to help ensure that. Yeah. Not too many women have come through for a, an extended period. There have been camps, but what was, what was your initial reaction when, when Lauren approached the Hawkeye club? It was a no brainer to me. She was very comfortable. She was around the row and um, established a relationship with Tom and, um, you know, there was an understanding there. And like I said, there's a lot to be developed for, from her wrestling point of view, but, but, you know, it started with a character thing and, and the work ethic where it made sense, you know, there was a good place for her to cross train over in, uh, Cornell college, um, during the NCAA year when she couldn't be in our room and, um, the partners were right for her over there and that kind of thing. And it's, 
you know, she moved into Eastern Iowa wrestling a few times and went with some of our better high school kids. And, um, it, it was, it was good. It was, uh, it, it was what I expected it to be. You know, I was out at the USOC for three and a half years and was around, you know, Terry Steiner's program for that entire time. And, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a foreign feeling at all to me. As we shift gears over to Greco-Roman, Dennis, you had talked about, uh, you, we had talked off, uh, off, off the record, so to speak, or well, off, off of any particular show about how Ben was going to break through and how, uh, Ben Provisor is, was a different wrestler than he was at the U.S. Open in December. What were the keys to his success from not scoring a point against Jake Clark in the U.S. Open to basically dominating the wily veteran, the 36-year-old who's got junk upon junk in a bag of tricks, and he just dominated that series and made his second straight Olympic team. What were those key factors to getting him you know, back into Olympic shape? You know, number one, getting him healthy, getting his mind right. When he came up by me in January, he just wanted – to train he didn't want any distractions and i think that was a big part and the second part is we we kind of we helped him out a lot with a strength training program that we got him on and he's eating it up and as you could tell he had the power to do things that in the past he hadn't had the power to do plus his overall position we changed his uh, stance up a little bit to make him more mobile and you know, he did all the work, and that that's a key. He came in with a hungry attitude and approved something. As we look at the makeup of the Greco team, uh, Andy Beasick's qualified the weight. Ben Provisor will uh, make the Olympic team as Jordan Holm has qualified the weight class at the Pan Ams. And then Robbie Smith with that that beard, the big five-point arm throw. I mean, as a Greco-Roman wrestling fan, you got to love to see Robbie go out there and just throw a 6'6 heavyweight on its head for five. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, you saw it at the Worlds last year against Russia, and he's not afraid to get in there and take a chance. And that's, you know, that's what I love about him. He's he's going to give you everything he's got, and he's going to throw a kitchen sink at you. And that's why he's having success. He's not wrestling tight. He's wrestling open and having fun. If you look at the makeup of this team, you've got you've got the guy, you have a couple of Wisconsin guys, so that's got to make you feel good. You got you know the yeah. mix of the Storm guys, which has been consistent since 1968. You got joking guys like Robbie Smith and Joe Rao. You've got guys with some swagger like uh, Rayvon Perkins, Jesse Thielke, and then you've got the quiet mustache guy that just drops people all over the place. And Andy Besick. What do you when you look at this Greco-Roman team? What are your thoughts about one getting all the weights qualified, and two their performance on what you expect from them in Rio? You know, I, I don't know how many weights we're going to get qualified. Uh, it's tough to qualify at these last two qualifiers. Hopefully you can sneak sneak them all through. But um, the guys that are qualified and um, the guys that are battling to qualify, they all have good chances to get down there and win some matches and improve on their performances. And, you know, I, I think realistically you got, uh, you know, four 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 medalists if they have good tournaments you know i i mean i'm just being honest and i think uh you know they got to keep learning over the next three months they got to take their training to a whole nother level because that's what everybody else is doing terry when we look at the makeup of the freestyle team we've got three guys with world medals two of them are world champs with jordan burroughs kyle snyder and then delagnef a multiple time medalist and then three guys that won the trials 
uh, that, that are really Dan Dennis is not freestyle and experience, but when you look at Frank Molinaro and Jaden Cox coming right off the college mats, let's just talk about Cox for a little bit. When you see an athlete come right out of college that's not super versed in freestyle and win a super competitive weight class, what do you, th- what's the upside for a guy like Jaden Cox who's just a junior in college? I think the upside is is the attitude that they bring to the mat. I, you know where I'm at with the collegiate style versus the freestyle and all this stuff. I, I don't know if I necessarily, you know, think that it absolutely hurts us. I don't think that it does. I think there's things that they learn in college over the, over the course of a season that you you would never learn in a freestyle environment. And you know, Jaden Cox is a great athlete. He's a great person. He's got extreme discipline. He lives his life right. I mean, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't really matter what his experience level is if he's exuding the confidence and going out there and, and taking care of things. It's not like he beat a bunch of nobodies going through that tournament, you know. And uh, to be able to beat Dake two out of three there to make that team, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's really, really impressive. Very, very impressive to me. It shows poise. It shows maturity. Even even at the age that he is, because maturity and, and leadership, you know, aren't necessarily an age thing where where we come from. You know, they're a thing that comes with discipline. It comes with honing your mind and your body and your emotions every single day, and, and waking up with the right attitude. That's how you uh, build that maturity and that leadership, and and that's how you get those those confidence skills and things. And obviously. You know, they, they did a great job in his camp. He's done a great job inside his own mind between his ears of, of believing that he's the guy, and he went out and proved it, and now it's his spot. As we'll shift to the guy you work with, uh, the only member of the Hawkeye Wrestling Club on the team, Daniel Dennis, and his story has been uh, chronicled very well. It started with uh, some great stories by Andy Hamilton and people that knew Dan's journey. And then you get Hawkeye versus Hawkeye in the finals. And there was some drama that came out after that, but I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about when the situation. You want to talk about that. You know you want to talk. <laughs> well, I've talked about it. On, we've had it uh, talked about everywhere else. This is the coaching perspective. So what I want to want to get right. with that is when you've got two guys from the same club battling for that Olympic spot, there's going to be tension there, but when when you look at the training situations, that's got to be a good situation for the club because you know you're one and two at that weight. One of your guys is going, and you know how do you and Tom work with that and, and, and the staff within the Iowa room and within the Hawkeye Wrestling Club to be like, all right, you know this is where we want to be. We want one and two on the Olympic ladder. Nothing new here. It, it, it's been that way since I was uh, freshman in college here. I mean, I don't know where where the, the drama came from. You know, I don't understand it. I, I don't see the downside to it. Um, the downside would be if you let, if you were one of the uh, opponents and you let the other guy get inside your head, and that would be a, a downside. But I didn't see that as as a case in either guy. And, and you know, it, 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 it is a great situation for anybody. For our club, for Tony Ramos, for Dan Dennis, it, it, it is and should have been and was a great situation for them. Again, it boils down to what their perspective is and how they approach you know, themselves coming to work every single day. Have you seen situa- – what are some situations that you've seen in the past through world team trials and Olympic team trials that you sat there and be like, yep, yeah, I've, I've seen this before. This is nothing new, as you said. Well – 
uh, Barry Davis, Brad Penrith, um, me and Penrith, me and Melchiori, uh, me and Mark Ironside. You know, those are the things that are the closest to home um, in, in my own career and, you know, things that I've observed. I mean, I had to beat Penrith two out of three on two different um, occasions to make a world team, you know. And Joe Melchiori was in that weight class and in, in those uh, uh, weight classes throughout that that uh, four-year period there. And then in 2000, when when Ironside came in, and, and after in 99, in 2000, was in that weight class in the mini tournament for the uh, the Dallas trials going to Sydney, Australia. You know, that, that was something that was a, a – situation that was embraced by me you know i got one of the toughest guys in the in the world let alone the country in our room training every single day and there was never one day that i left that room where he did more than i did that's the kind of attitude that i would expect you know a professional to have um moving forward so those are the things that you're looking for and those are the things that we thought were coming out of our guys every single day just to add on that, Jason, too, I think when I came in in 93, Gable said, you know, Charles had left and he was at Royce's weight and he said it would bring in. But I remember he had Hamilton below me. But at the same time, Terry, they brought in Eric Aiken. And, and we could have had, what, you could have had Chad Zapato coming out of college. I mean, those guys embraced those, those, having that in the room, right? Even they were bringing in Iowa State guys at that time. Would you say Would you say that, that, that that's part part of it? I mean, you don't do it as much, Terry, probably bringing in Iowa State guys, but at that time it was just bringing the best guys you could find around, right? Well, I think that you have a, with particularly those two guys, Steve Hamilton and Eric Aiken, you had a like-minded mentality. You know, the coach was different at Iowa State at that time, and, you know, their philosophies were very similar to, you know, a, a Gable-trained athlete, if you want to call it that. And, you know, I don't I knew Aiken for a long time, you know, just because of, you know, being around him in the, uh, that part of the uh, part of the country in the Midwest with Kansas. And I grew up 70 miles from Steve Hamilton. You know, it was like-minded. It was a natural fit for him to come into that room. And he brought a lot of value to that room. He brought a lot of honing and a skill set and another guy that, you're going to see and that you're going to train next to every single day. You know, those, you're exactly right. And then you coming into the room with, with Kelvig left, uh, giving Alger, you know, another partner and giving you an opportunity to, to train against, you know, a world silver medalist and let's see where you can go with that, those kind of things. And all of a sudden, when you have that environment, you have an explosion that takes place and, and uh, you, can get, you can get really, really good things out of that. Let's spin this over to Dennis. In your career, you've kind of been kind of that lone wolf guy. You, you kind of you know you work with Terry. With he was a freestyle, you're a Greco guy. You guys had that like minded mentality, as Terry was talking about. But you you really didn't have a whole lot of you know guys that are at your weight banging in your room. What are some experiences that you've seen with athletes and coaching? I think we see this more in Greco because we see the Storm guys hitting more often. We see the Army guys hitting more often. Dennis, from a Greco-Roman perspective, how do you think that weighs on the athletes when you've got two Army guys or two Storm guys or, or two Sunkiss guys that are battling for that spot that are in the same room together? Yeah, I, I think they know what they're in for. And like Gary said, it is... You know what? Each guy's going to help 
help the other guy get better because they're going to be in there. They're going to see what the other guy's doing and they got to outwork that guy. So in their mind that they believe that they should win those matches. So I think it's a good thing. You know, I just didn't have anybody in Stevens Point, Wisconsin to train with. So I brought in world champions or world medalists from overseas. So, but I think, uh, as far as any time you got a good quality guy in the room, I mean, Kevin Bracken trained with me quite a bit. Brandon Paulson would come to my room. Steve Mays was up in the room a bunch with me. So I always had good guys in the room and uh, training with good guys. And I think that's a key is your training partners. If your training partner ain't pushing you every day and trying to knock your head off, you ain't getting better. Terry, with your perspective, having worked out in Colorado Springs at USA Wrestling on the National Freestyle staff, this year the way it works is a little different. We've got our trials. We've got our Olympic Team Trials champion set now with the two qualification tournaments left. it The onus is on that athlete. What's your opinion on having the athlete that wins the trials try to qualify the weight versus a situation we had in 12 where Sean Bunch had to go I'd skip the trials. He had to go to Mongolia to qualify the weight and then come back and had a three-way wrestle-off. I mean, do you like the fact that the Olympic Team Trials champion controls his own destiny in this case? Well, I do the way that it's set up. Um, it has to be that way, right? I mean, if, if you're the guy, uh, are you going to let the the alternate or the third place guy go? And I think the women are in that um, situation a little bit with uh, um, the the weight class at 48 kilo because the one gal might be a little too heavy. So I don't know that I would want to be relying on somebody else to qualify my weight class. You know, that's the kind of attitude I would have. Um, with the weight and, and the discipline that comes along with being the best in the world, making the weight shouldn't be the issue, you know. The issue should be that why isn't my weight class qualified yet? I'm going to take care of that at my first given opportunity, right? Yeah, it, it comes back down to the timing as well. I mean, with your experiences, do you think the timing of the Olympic team trials is optimal? Uh, I think some of the, the worry is is if you push it back into March, you've got the college guys that won't be able to compete, and then if you push it back too late, there's you know you get into the qualifying situations. What would be your optimal time for an Olympic trials compared to say a World Team trials? Well, it's tough to say because you could move it to June. Then let's move it to June. Well, the national staff didn't want to move it to June; they wanted it settled in April, so that they're six to eight weeks in front of that June time period. You know, remember the Olympics aren't in September. They uh, the opening ceremonies are the fifth, and freestyles wrestling nineteen, twenty, and twenty-one of August. So your your ability to be able to prepare is different. So that's why the national staff pushed for an April trials. Now, when you do that, if you're going to push for an April trials, then what are you going to do with uh, date to get it where it makes sense to fit in with the with the um, final two qualifiers because you know you're you're going to have those weight classes that haven't been decided since September has come and gone and we didn't have four weights qualified, right? So it all comes down to is there really a perfect situation? From my perspective, maybe June was better. You know, maybe maybe you need to trust more in the athletes as they prepare for the trials that they're getting ready for international competition too. You could argue that. Now, if we did it that way, then you could argue it the other way. Well, we wanted more time with the Olympic team together. We wanted that two months more time with them together, so why not do it in April? Well, if that's the case, why not do it in February? Well, you got the college season going on. 
And in America, that's really hard to do a trials process in the middle of a collegiate season. So what is the perfect situation? You know, you could debate it, and there really isn't a perfect situation. There's there's several scenarios that you can make work. You just got to know your plan, believe in it, and then execute it. And one other caveat to bring to the discussion is now we've seen, uh, and just on Wednesday, Adeline Gray was in Chicago uh, with an ESPNW panel with a, a lot of women sports leaders and athletes. And, you know, the, the media tour during an Olympic year, that's a big deal. That's an opportunity for athletes to get additional sponsorships to get their name. I think, what was it, Joe Williams was on a McDonald's Cup, I think, back back in the day. And, you know, Jordan Burroughs just picked up Chibani. And it so if you have it in April, you've got your team set and you're giving the athletes more uh, endorsement and media opportunities that would kind of help their fund their training too. So that's another thing to bring to the table. Yeah. And it's awareness for the sport. You know, the longer you have your team settled, the more awareness there is, especially when you got an icon like Jordan Burroughs or, or uh, Adeline Gray who have won, you know, several world championships and Burroughs being the reigning Olympic gold medalist, you know, you have those opportunities to bring that awareness to the sport also. So, you know, what you say is correct. It just it just depends on, you know, where you want to go with your plan and what that plan is going to look like and then being able to execute on it. We'll see. You know, Dennis was, was kind of, I don't want to speak for him, but he was kind of wary about whether the Greco guys were going to get qualified or not. I'm pretty optimistic just because of where I'm at, and I, I guess, you know, I can afford to be. I'm not Bruce Burnett right now sitting in. Ulan Bader, but man alive, you got to get this. You got to get these things qualified, don't you? And like Dennis said, you know, when the when the when your shoes hit the mat, you better be ready to go. I mean, this isn't about winning the Olympic team trials. If you don't qualify the weight, you're not even an Olympian. You really aren't. You gotta you gotta wrestle in the Olympics and have a spot to be an Olympian. And that's the bottom line to me. Dennis, when, when training provisor, knowing that the weight was qualified, did that, that change his training a little bit? Did that take some pressure off? You know, Terry's talking about the pressure of getting these guys to qualify. But what was what was Ben's mindset knowing that Jordan Holm had already qualified the weights through the Pan Ams and knows he's just got to win this tournament to make the team? It was uh, give it everything he got to make the team and take a couple weeks downtime where he uh, he's got a bad ankle right now, so he's got a couple weeks off, and that's a nice thing. That's the beauty of having a way qualified. Then you can come back and you can hit a hard three months uh, or yeah, three month cycle, you know, and not have to worry about who you're going overseas, being tired, losing training time. I mean, because there's a big difference between. The guys that are going over there and competing right now, they're getting competition ready, but yet they ain't able to work on their little things that they need to work on during this time period of them going, having to qualify. You know, I, I think the way the trials were set up this year is, is great. I, you know, I'm a person that believes that, you know, the team should be picked because I wouldn't trust anybody else to qualify a weight class. You know, and I like the way they have it where the team's picked and it's up to the individual to get the job done. If you want to wrestle in the Olympics, you got to qualify to wait. So I, I, I want to, um, and I'm always a skeptic, but I want to want as a coach picking who was going to go qualify to wait. You know, when I was competing, I always believed I'd get the job done. And one year in 2000, I qualified to wait on the last chance against a 
uh, Cuban, I had a concussion right before the finals. I got a concussion. I had to beat the Cuban to, to qualify the weight class. And I think, uh, you know, for me as an athlete, that, that's what it was about. And, you know, qualifying weight class is, is huge for whoever did it and, and for the guys that are trying to do it right now. Their main focus has to be on going out there and getting the job done. And, you know, there's there's not going to be a more motivated guy than a guy that's already on the Olympic team, all you know, to get the job done. And Terry, in the same situation, regardless of who had won the spot at, at 57 kilos, uh, with whether it be Dan, Dan Dennis or, or Tony Ramos, they were in the same spot. They knew that the weight was qualified. Tony did it on his own. And then, uh, you know, did that bring anything into the training mind or, or their preparation? Did they, did you taper the training a little differently or find different peaks knowing that, uh, you know, if that weight wasn't qualified, whoever wins was, was going overseas? Did that come in your mind when training these two athletes? No, and uh, the, the reason why I could say that so resoundingly is because of the situation with Metcalf. You know, he he was he was a favorite in our mind, obviously uh, going to the going to be on that Olympic team, and he would have had to go. I was planning on going to Mongolia, but it wasn't even something that you you think about or we even really talked about. It was about getting the job done, winning the Olympic team trials, and then at the then that's when you separate the training. At that point in time on Sunday night, when that team decided, now, okay, Dennis, your plan looks like this through June, through the World Cup. Metcalf, your plan looks like this through June, the World Cup. And we come together again in the World Cup training camp, and that's where we start to get on the same page again. So, you know, you got to get ready for the trials. You had to peak to those trials. That was the key. And uh, it, it, it couldn't, in, in my mind, as a coach, I don't know how it could be any different. As we're talking the qualifiers here, Russia looks like they've got 15 across all three styles, including all six athletes in both men's freestyle and Greco-Roman, uh, Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan, each with 12. And this kind of goes into two, a two-part question here or segment of the show. One, the qualifying system for the games. What do you think could be tweaked? What do you think is good with it? Do we, you know... Is there an optimal process for qualifying countries for the games? I'm going to start with Dennis on this one. You know, I, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I know the top two at the uh, Pan Ams, it's tough. I mean, if, if you got a world medalist in your weight and you need them in the uh, semis, you got to beat them in the semis. And that's a tough part about taking the top two from the continental championships, but I don't know. I mean, that's something I'd have to really look at and see different things. It It is what it is. And you, you got to find a way to get it done if you're the athlete. So, um, you know, I'd have to look more in depth at possible uh, solutions to the qualification process. And Terry, Along those same lines, the European qualifier was this past weekend, and there's a week between the European qualifier and Mongolia, and then not that much longer for for Istanbul. So as much as we're sitting there thinking that, all right, we're in a tough spot, these European nations are in a tough spot. So, I mean, they've got to be thinking, man, there's there's got to be a better way here too. Maybe, yeah. Um, they probably have or had a plan going in where they have their alternate ready to go. Um, if you look at the uh, – 
the stuff that's on the boards right now, you know, they have like the Iranian world champion isn't even slated to go to that first qualifier. They have the alternate already ready to go at, uh, from Iran. Um, I think that's at 58. I can't remember for sure, but you know, those are, those are things and situations where again, based on what your plan and you have that knowledge out front of it. So you have a plan to deal with it. So maybe it's not perfect. Maybe there is or isn't a perfect situation to get, but as a coach, you find the, the best optimum spot that you can get your, your program in to make sure that you have 18 qualifiers going into the, uh, going to the Olympics as a, I guess, as a head coach or a, an executive director type type position where you're the team leader of that country. You've got to make sure that you do everything you can to get those 18 personnel going. Um, and like Dennis said, what, what, you know, which, which way do you want to go with it? How do you want to have this play out? And it is something that, that needs to be thought about. It's not really something that you're ever going to come where it's Russia and Iran, Azerbaijan, Brazil, and the United States sit down in a room, they're not going to come up with a solution that works for everybody. Nobody's going to ever agree with that, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, John, what would you say there? I mean, Jason, you tell me. You're the Jason, you should have the answers to all this. This is your doggone job right here to, to find solutions to these problems. I'm going to let John answer that one first, then I'll give you my take. All right. Thanks, Jason. Well, hey, uh, yeah, I mean – Good stuff. Listen, you said know your plan, execute, believe in it. I mean, from from uh, the tactics, what you were talking about, qualifying the weights is probably what you want for your team. So the the Olympic trials qualifier coming as a priority before the weights are qualified. You know that that one's something something that they figured they were they were going to qualify. But you're right; these these tri- these qualifiers are back to back weeks. So is it the same guy? Is it our best tactics to qualify? Um, all, all all the weights. So I apologize. I got a phone coming in, but uh, you know, just from from the NCA Division Three standpoint, there's some philosophy of hey, you want the best wrestlers in the country at the NCA tournament, or the best wrestlers in each region. That changes things. I believe you should try and get the best guys in the in the in the country to the championship and make it a true championship event. So in some ways, if your guy if the weight's not qualified, you know maybe he's not the best in the world. But from a nation tactic, you probably want to qualify your, all your weights. So maybe that comes before the trials is, hey, let's make sure we have the weights qualified that we're, we're trialing. But, you know, from the, from FILA, maybe they're – or I'm sorry, United World Wrestling, I mean, maybe they like the, the parity that we had. In 2012, we had 71 countries qualify for one of the And it was with, with, you know, a little bit of medals for each country. They like those background stories. Maybe they think that's better, but – you know, ultimately, whatever your your philosophy it should be, the best guys in the world are going to make their way through. But from a country standpoint, that would change the plan and how you're going to execute it if, if you feel like it, it, it's a concern about if you're going to qualify the weights. Yeah, and I look at this g- geographically. There is they they took the Asian. Uh, excuse me, the Oceanic Qualifier and the African Qualifier and put them together into one qualifier. So you've taken essentially the two weakest qualifiers for the games, put them into one where you've got your Europe is, is a huge qualifier. And then, you know, Asia is a good one. You've got your scattering of former Soviet republics in there. I'm almost thinking it's it's kind of like when they redrew the regions in Division Three or, or they move teams around in Division Two. Well, you know, does it have to be a straight continental? Because you look at Azerbaijan, they go to the European qualifier. Iran 
one goes to the Asians, and those are bordering countries. That's eventually going to happen. I'm thinking maybe is there a more uniform region where this like, all right, you know, we've got the Pan-American with two continents qualifying, very similar to, because uh, if you look at the Pan-Americans, it's the United States and Cuba with a couple athletes from Canada, especially in, in the women's portion that really dominate. And then we look at, you know, Oceania has never had, to my knowledge, an Olympic medalist. I mean, they, they got a guy from uh, Micronesia that got, through, I think it's called the tripartite, that got in into London. And, you know, you've got, it's not like you're breaking it up, but maybe a more even distribution of countries through qualifiers where it's not necessarily uh, true geography. Granted, the Americas are, you know, <laughs> essentially on our own islands over here. But, you know, Iran's not going to wrestle in the Europeans because Israel competes in the Europeans and Israel's not going to compete in the Asians for the, for the same reason. So we've got politics involved. And ideally, I think we as wrestling people want to see the best wrestlers there. It's nice to see a guy from South Africa or Cameroon or Nigeria into the medal matches and an opportunity to win a medal for that nation, which is something I think the USOC and United World Wrestling like. But I guess maybe that's part of our mentality here as Americans. We want to see the best tournament, the best athletes, not necessarily the broadest representation. So I'd like to see some rejiggering of the re of the the continental qualifiers. So there there is an even distribution. You know, Iran and Azerbaijan should be essentially in the same qualifier. I mean, they border each other. We were in Baku. We're a hundred miles from the Iranian border, and they're qualifying different places. So that's just my general. You know, thoughts on what could be done better with the qualification process. So uh, I'm going to pitch that over to Dennis for maybe your reaction. Yeah, no, I I think uh, they got to look at that type of stuff. Um, you know, the European Championships to me is probably the toughest championships to get through and qualify. I mean, you, you look at the uh, uh, championships with the Americas, and you know. You, you got for freestyle, you got a little bit more um, parity, but in Greco, it's United States, Cuba. You have a couple, couple other uh, countries that have good guys, but it it's a little bit easier, I think, for Greco to qualify, depending if the Cuban or the uh, United States guy is already qualified. You know, so um, you know, it's it's just a whole process that. People got to take time and look at it. And if we want the best wrestlers at the Olympic Games, like Terry said, you know, we got to figure out a more, maybe, I don't know if you call it a fair system, but um, have more uh, parity within the qualification process for each country. Terry, is some of this part of our American thinking that, uh, you know, we think differently than the rest of the world. Does the rest of the world, from your experiences, agree with that sentiment, or are they just like, yeah, it's fine, it is what it is? I think it depends on where you're at. I bet the Russians are are thinking the same way we are because they're solid at all those at all uh, disciplines of wrestling, women, Greco, and freestyle, and so they're probably thinking the way we are. Here's the thing, and as a from a raw point of view, I'm I'm on board with that. You know how I am. I think the tournament should be as tough as it is. So uh, maybe maybe you add, and this is where you, you know when you start talking about adding entrance per weight category, you start talking about these things. But now let's look at it from an, an executive point of view, where you get the IOC. What is their perception? Because the IOC, one of the one of the things that they like about wrestling 
is that we do give opportunity to, to countries that nobody's ever heard of that's winning Olympic uh, medals in there. You know, like when uh, Kumar won the bronze medal in 08, that was a huge deal for, for India to win a summer uh, bronze medal there. And that was something that was big news to them. And obviously was was huge news to Kumar as he, you know, became an instant national celebrity there and an international icon. So, you know, and then and then take uh, Kazakhstan or any, like you said, the former Soviet republics and, and take these Nordic countries and Greco-Roman, um, they're winning medals in the summer games. That's a huge deal to the IOC. So as an executive, um, where we're talking about what John said at the front of the program today, uh, we want to go to core sport. We want to get our sport back to the, the core sport um, um, ranking. Well, if we start, you know, throwing out those countries and then bringing in, you know, just the toughest ones and the only ones that we hear about, our parity is going to break down. So as a, you know, a UWW guy, a Ninad Lalovic, a president of the UWW, what are you thinking here? Well, we want to preserve the sport of wrestling. So what is the best answer? You know, do we go the political route? Because that's what ultimately going to strengthen our sport from their perspective, or are we going to go from the raw, pureness, wrestling point of view where we make the weight classes as tough as we can? Well, the solution would be to add entrance. Uh, but the IOC doesn't want that because they have to keep this thing down. They, they've got to make these Olympics small. So they can't keep raising them. I mean, they, they, all the things that you guys know about. So, you know, you, you tell me again. I mean, these are, these are really, really tough issues that there there really isn't a right answer for and you're not going to agree on it us four may not ever come to an agreement let alone you know the uh ioc panel with you know 50 countries on it yeah i'm gonna have to agree it's like we were talking with uh you know we talk about the division one thing you can't get 77 coaches on board for one thing you know when we talk about something like the national duels you're not going to get 177 nations on board with anything and you know speaking of geography i'm looking at it going well why is oceana going over to africa they could be at part of the asian qualifier most of their connections are through southeast asia anyway but that's that's i think we've we've beaten that horse uh pretty much to death at this point we can definitely revisit that as we get closer to the games because uh given that thought okay let's let's see what happens i mean we can spitball some ideas and you never know one of them might might you know somebody might be listening to this and be like yeah that's not a bad idea so as as we wrap up this episode i'm going to go over to uh to john mcgovern and get your general thoughts on the teams that we've got set in all three styles and whether or not they qualify or not i mean these you've got we've got a good mix of personalities from a fan perspective we've got uh heroes we've got two women with a very good chance provided helen qualifies the weight two women that, that have really good chances to win this country's first Olympic gold medal women's wrestling. We've got great stories with Joe Rao being a division three guy uh, trying to make the, make the, you know, he's made the, the team he's got to make the games with his qualifying. And then of course for freestyle, you know, Jordan Burroughs, Kyle Snyder, Turvell, and then uh, stories like Dan Dennis, Frank Molinaro coming from the nine seed, Jaden Cox coming from the nine seed. John, this is, it was, it was not the team you probably expected when the, when the first whistle blew in Iowa city. Yeah, that could have. Yeah, it could have turned out a lot of different ways. I think people would like to watch Dakin Cox wrestle nine out of ten. It's just fun watching those guys compete and, and uh, just their different styles. But you know, kind of going back to you about you guys on the Olympic core, though, that feels like that's probably the next phase. And then you know, hopefully, once we get some solid foundation, more more uh, 
more qualifiers. But yeah, from the U.S. standpoint, it looks like we have a lot of opportunities for medals, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of youth in there. And I'm hoping Aaron Pico stays in it. I think a lot of guys were, you know, really wanted to watch him come back from that nine point deficit and get a tech ball, and just just to see that, like like Terry was saying, it's not about age; it's maturity and leadership, and just the discipline and pulling your mind and body and emotions every day. So. It seems like we have a lot of great energy and uh, great coaches and, and chances for a lot of lot of uh, lot of medals, and it's going to be fun to see how that happens. Dennis, your thoughts on the makeup of all three teams? I, I think uh, they got great opportunity, to win a lot of medals this summer. Um, you know, after watching the trials and all the matches, it, it was exciting to watch all the matches. I mean, you know, the, some of the weight classes that ain't qualified though probably in my eyes had some of the best matches of the trial so I'm pretty excited to go down to Rio and watch the Olympic Games and see how the guys do and girls All right, and we'll leave it up to Mr. Soundbite Terry Brands your thoughts on the three teams well I think if you look at the leadership um, you've got Jordan Burroughs you got Adeline Gray or Morales whichever way you want to go with it and uh, you got the Cowboy there for Greco, and then you add in a two-time with uh, um, um, Provisor sticking his nose in there and, and winning basically to stick it up everybody's rear end is the way that I saw it. Um, you have a lot of potential good energy, like like John said, and you do have some good leadership there with those with those guys there. And so, I mean – Latch on to that. Find the energy. You know, as a coach, that's what you do. I mean, there's not a lot to be changed here. There's there's some little things that need to be tweaked, and there's some awareness things that need to be factored into and that we need to communicate to our athletes. But for the most part, are the skills in place? I believe that we have a team of winners. You know, do they believe that? Does each individual member of each individual team believe that they have the skills to win and if they don't believe that then we got to get them to believe that because i believe that to be true up and down the line up there like the way we finish up strong so for john mcgovern dennis hall terry brands you've been listening to the world wrestling resource podcast check out all the resources available at worldwrestlingresource.com we'll see you next time is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.